Welcome to the Cover 2 Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. My name is Amy McNeil. I lost my brother Samuel to a heroin overdose on October 23, 2015. He was 28. As a family, we thought we were prepared to help Sam fight addiction, but we were painfully mistaken. My family founded Cover 2 Resources in memory of Sam. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. The Cover 2 Resources podcast is an ongoing series in which we interview experts in the fight against opioid addiction. It is made possible through donations and sponsorships from concerned individuals or organizations. If you want to help in the fight against opioid addiction, please consider donating or sponsoring the Cover 2 podcast. Go to cover2.org for more information. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover 2 Resources, on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources. In today's episode, we'll be talking with Michelle Harder, the Associate Director of Anchor Recovery Community Centers in Rhode Island. Michelle was the primary architect of Anchor ED, a special program that connects people who have been admitted to emergency rooms throughout their state uh, for opioid-related overdoses with trained peer recovery coaches. These recovery coaches play an important role in helping people avoid another overdose and encouraging them to seek treatment. So, Michelle, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Okay. So, congratulations, first of all, on some well-deserved recognition for your part in developing Anchor ED. It's, uh, it's really gotten off the ground and done some great things. So, let's start back at the beginning. How did you get the idea to start this program? So the program was developed in uh, 2013. Um, it was a combined effort between Rhode Island's Department of Behavioral Health and a gentleman by the name of Jim Dillon and a woman by the name of Rebecca Boss, who were basically having coffee one day and um, started talking about the overdose issues in the state of Rhode Island. Uh, at that point, they decided to go visit with some uh, doctors, ER doctors, um, and ask them, what, what do you do with people that come in here on an opioid overdose? And, and basically the answer was, you know, we kind of let them lay around here for four or five hours. And when they're feeling better after they've, you know, gone through some withdrawal, we, we send them home. And, um, you know, home for them may be out in the street. And I think that's so, typical across America, isn't it? That's exactly the I way that's it handled. across America. I think yeah. it's the, the adage of treat them and street them. Um, you know, get out of my emergency room type of thing. And I think education is is needed all across the country in in all kinds of professions that deal with um, overdose, opiate overdose, and and subsequently the recovery of that person. The recovery is more important than than the overdose, frankly. So they uh, talked about maybe treating these people and seeing these people with a uh, peer recovery specialist, a recovery coach, someone who's been where they've been, who's been in that emergency room, laying there after an opioid overdose, having been administered Narcan maybe once, maybe five times, um, so that they can talk to them on the same level, have some empathy and some sympathy, and additionally give them uh, information and support around their addiction. Um, 
as well as a little bit of Narcan training. Um, some hospitals provide a Narcan kit. Um, and we've been very successful in our program here in Rhode Island. So what did it take to get that up and rolling? It takes quite a bit, actually. It takes a lot of cooperation between the hospitals and the recovery uh, coaches, the the parent company of the, the recovery field in, in, in your state. Um, in a state like Ohio, it's, you know, a massive problem. Um, fortunately for Rhode Island, we're a little state, so we started in one hospital on a uh, shift of Friday night at 8 p.m. to Monday morning at 8 a.m., and we had one recovery coach on call at that point in time, and what happened was it got busier and busier, obviously, and um, started working into the daytime hours, so we were providing recovery coaches to that particular hospital um, 24 hours a day and also during the week. So we had to go back to our state agency, the Department of Behavioral Health, and say, listen, we're getting calls 24-7, and so we need to look at some additional funding for this program so that we can support the people that are coming in looking for help. And, and thankfully, our de- Department of Behavioral Health is, is very recovery-minded um, and was willing to help us in that endeavor. So what kind of costs were you looking at to run this program? It, it, it varies. Um, with one hospital, it's um, you know a, a totally different game than it, it is now where we have every hospital in Rhode Island, which is 12 hospitals, and they're all covered 24-7. Um, we have a couple of full-time coaches now that are paid an hourly wage, and we also have quite a few per diems that are on overnight shifts that are paid a stipend to go out to the hospitals when a call comes in through our answering service. Okay. So walk me through. Someone comes in that's overdosed. What happens? So the protocol in our state is that each person that comes in um, into the emergency room that um, is in an overdose situation should be asked by one of the ED docs or one of the nurses in in the uh, emergency room whether or not they would like to see a recovery coach because obviously we know that we can't push this on people. Uh, People have to be ready to accept recovery, and and we found that over the past three years, frankly. Um, So there are people, obviously, that say, no, I don't want to have anything to do with that. And And we understand that. It's It's part of it. Um, but if a, if a patient does want to see a recovery coach, the nurse then calls our answering service, which immediately um, telephones our ED manager or the dispatcher on duty that, that night or day. And um, within 30 minutes, a recovery coach responds to that particular hospital. And when they come into the hospital, they, you know, introduce themselves to the staff. They may have checked in earlier during the day, um, but sometimes the staff changes. You may have checked in at, you know, 8 p.m., but now it's 8 a.m., so you have a different shift on. Um, and they sit with the person and, and their family if they're there or friends. Um, obviously, we have to have releases signed to be able to speak to people other than the patient. And we talk to them about, you know, recovery and what they've just what they've just been through. And frankly, you know, if you're in an opioid overdose and you've been hit with Narcan several times and you're in a withdrawal state, you're, you're agitated and you don't really want to have a big conversation with people. But sometimes there's there are those people, and more frequently than not, I I think and I hope, 
um, people are willing to talk to us about what we can do to assist them on the journey. And to have a recovery coach standing by them um, is so important. It's that connection that they may not have had previously. Sure. So um, by now they've talked to over 1,400 people. Um, I just got some new numbers, actually, and we've, we've since the inception of the program, talked to over 2,200 people. Wow. Yeah. That is fantastic. It's, it's pretty amazing stuff. And so what percentage of them have engaged in recovery support services? So the new number that we have is 86.3%. That's huge. Yes, it's absolutely huge. Now, that being said, we don't keep in contact with all of these people. Sometimes they're not able to be contacted anymore for one reason or another. So, uh, But those are people that have initially engaged with a recovery coach, um, have followed through and spoken to somebody on the phone or gone to treatment or gone to detox. So um, the, the, the outcome is, is pretty favorable, pretty positive. It certainly is. So how about long-term success? Do you have any uh, – well, of course, you've only – well, you've been going long enough – um, we have. We've been doing since uh, 2014, mm-hmm. so we're into our two-and-a-half-year period, and uh, unfortunately, there are no signs of it slowing down at this point, and I think that's true across the country. I don't think that any state is seeing a decline in overdose deaths or decline in um, emergency room visits, those that are doing that type of a program. Um I know I do know that Rhode Island is is successful because our rate is is climbing much slower than most in, in the country. Is there any one particular success story that stands out among all the others to you, Michelle? Well, there, you know, there's so many, Greg, that um, it's hard to pick just one. But I will tell you a, a quick story about a woman who. Um, was seen in the ED at the inception of the program by our um, now manager, George O'Toole. And um, she was in her mid-30s and had um, suffered quite a few overdoses and had been revived, thank goodness, by uh, Narcan. And um, she didn't really want to have anything to do with George while he was while she was in the emergency room, but she did take his information his card and all the information about anchor and George um, as we do with everyone continued following up with this woman for the um, mandatory 10 days after the visit but then he chose to continue to try and follow up with her and he did that for about three months and um, she would never answer the phone and one day she did answer the phone and she said you can't imagine how much it has meant to me that you have called me every single day and left a message and said, I'm just checking on you, see if you need anything, if you're okay. Um, and she said, your phone calls have kept me clean for the last three months. So um, Wow, that's so powerful. So that, was, that was pretty powerful stuff, that mm. even though they weren't meeting face-to-face, and frankly, even though they weren't you know, engaging in a telephone conversation, what we were doing as peers was having a great effect on on her sobriety. Hmm. So, 
Any stats in terms of long-term people that have, have stayed, you know, they've been introduced to a recovery through one of your peer recovery coaches, and now they're a year or two years into the program. Any stats on that? We haven't as yet. We are developing that. And, and I'll tell you, in, in this population, it's very difficult to track that um, because you may have people that don't engage with you any longer and are still clean and sober. Maybe they left because they got a, a job. Maybe they left because they moved back with their family. Um, you know, maybe they left because um, they're still in treatment or, or what have you. Um, but we do know that, you know, our 90, uh, 30, 60, and 90 day numbers, they do decline, obviously, but but not significantly between um, 30 days and 60 days. And then there's a bigger drop off at the 90 day period. But we do find that there are a lot of uh, repeats um, that people that we have seen in the emergency room do tend to um, come back. Um, and so we, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, um, have more than one bite of the apple, if you will. And, sure. Um, a, another opportunity to, to help the next person. And, you know, they say that that's part of recovery. You know, relapse is part of recovery. And for many people, as you know better than just about anybody out there, uh, for many people, it takes several different tries. But each time they accomplish a little something along the way in their attempts yeah. to recovery and in their strives to, to, make it, to uh, move along in their lives. Absolutely. I mean, I know for myself, um, you know, I didn't find recovery the first time or the second time or the third time. And um, it took um, a, a journey, frankly, uh, for me to get to a place where I was able to um, understand a little bit of what was happening to me and know that I that I needed to get some help. You'll hear a lot of people talk about the spiritual experience part of it, and, and that truly is part of it, um, that light bulb moment where people say, you know what, I really, really need to get some help. And I don't necessarily believe that re relapse is part of recovery. Um, I don't believe that it has to be. There's plenty of people out there that have gotten into recovery and never relapsed, um, which is which is a great thing. That doesn't happen to be my story or, or the story of a lot of people that I know. But but the idea is you just keep trying. You don't quit one minute before that miracle happens. And and you'll you'll hear that story a lot. Michelle, you're the manager of operations at Anchor Recovery Community Centers. How has your story and your background helped you to achieve what you've achieved in your current oh, role? Oh, boy. So, so now I'm um, actually the associate director. Um, we have a new operations manager. Um, so I've been bumped up a little bit. Congratulations. Well, thank you. Um, but um, I think it, it's imperative. I'm not... I'm not touting that you have to be in recovery to be a good peer specialist, but I will tell you that it certainly does help. And as far as, as we're concerned, our, our peer recovery specialists, our recovery coaches, um, the ones that we have in Anchor are all in recovery. And I think you have to be able to relate to people. There is something to be said for people that have lived experience with um, a child or a, a spouse or a family member that's in addiction, um, and there may be part of a, a Naranon or an Al-Anon program, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really been a journey for me to, 
to work from the other side. I had had some sobriety um, before I came here, um, long-term sobriety, I think maybe about 18 years when I came here, um, and I'm approaching my 23rd year. Wow. So to see people in early recovery and to be able to interact with them and um, see their pain and have a remember when is certainly beneficial to my own recovery, um, but this is not where I get my recovery. My recovery is done in, in other ways, um, as, you know, self-care is just hugely important in this field, as you know. Yeah. Wow. And, and congratulations on your more than 20 years. Thank you. Fantastic. That's quite an accomplishment. Um, it can be done. Recovery is certainly possible. I think, I think we've got a pretty good sense for the program. So how do communities across America get rolling with this? So um, one of the things that I said when I was at the Addiction Policy Forum in Washington is that don't let the lack of funds keep you away from starting a program. Um, it, it's kind of like the old adage, is if you have a passion for your work, the money will come. Um, when there is results, when there are positive outcomes, the money will come. And, and that's kind of what happened to us. We, we had very little money when we started this. Um, and frankly, we had one recovery coach, George, who, who did everything, um, and ran around for approximately a year trying to, um, cover the, all the bases of people that were overdosing, speak to people in the hospitals, um, and people in the community to let them know that this was happening, the legislature, the state house. Um, so it was amazing to me how quickly the program developed. Um, and how easily um, it was that we were able to get funding for it after that. And I think that anyone that I've spoken to over the past couple of years um, has found the same in their models of their own emergency department um, in their state. So Anchor does offer a consultation program uh, whereby we uh, can speak to any anyone who wants to find out on how to build an anchor ED in, in your hometown, um, at your local hospital. Um, and it's been extremely beneficial to uh, many uh, cities across the country, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Pittsburgh, Ohio, Ohio in one little section of Ohio. Hmm. Um, Where's that, Michelle? I'm, you know, off the top of my head, I can't remember. Okay, yeah. Um, but I don't know that we've actually incorporated, had a, a memorandum of understanding with them yet. Hmm. Um, we could be in the, the early stages, um, but we've, we've talked to Wisconsin. I mean, it's, it's crazy what's going on. And so we offer a, a free 20 minute kind of phone consultation of, you know, how do you go about doing this? And usually that, that conversation is about how do you go about talking to your state about getting the money to fund this? And, um, and again, you know, don't wait for it. Train some peers. Um, get them trained in, in emergency rooms and start with one. Mm. Start with one person. Mm-hmm. And um, even if that person sits in the emergency room and just waits for someone that's coming in, I mean, unfortunately, it will happen. Sure. So tell me about the components, the cost components associated with this. So we, um, if you go to our website at www.anchorrecovery.org, you can find our consultation information on there. Um, there are several different price levels. 
Um, and it, it's really a module-based kind of, of um, product where, you know, hey, if we want to find out about uh, how to run a community center, or if we want to find out how to run an outreach program, and do we want to find out how to run an anchor ED, and do we want to find out specifically how to staff it or specifically how to go about getting the funding for it. So there's all different pricing levels. Okay. Outstanding. I'll uh, have to take a close look at that. Um, yeah. Good. And we'll go ahead and publish that along with the uh, with this podcast. So, awesome. Mich- Michelle, this has been very informative. Um, I, I wasn't aware of these services, the consultations that you have. So let's go back through the consultations and if you could just kind of pigeonhole those again in terms of the types of consultations that you have. Other than Anchor ED, you've got others, it sounds like. So we do. We, we've developed a program where, and because we're finding that more and more people really want to start developing programs in their own states, and I'm pretty sure that we're not the only ones that are doing this, um, but but as far as the Anchor ED goes and our specific model, um, there are so many questions that come up. So, for instance, if we contract with somebody um, to do an Anchor ED training, what that um, depending on the level that you purchase, um, we give either Skype, um, telephone, or you can come and visit Anchor, which is what most people have done. So they come here and they spend a day with us, and they come into our Anchor Community Center in the morning. Um, we have a little breakfast, and we find out um, a little about them, and they find out a lot about us. And um, we take them through the center, um, we explain to them all the programs that we have available um, through PowerPoints. Um, we have our Vice President of Recovery Support Services and Residential Treatment. We have myself as Associate Director. We also have George O'Toole as the Manager of the Anchor ED Program, as well as um, a state representative from the Department of Behavioral Health, Developmental Disabilities, and Hospitals who come in and speak to how successful this program has been. And then we have a, you know, a, um, a field trip of sorts over to one of the hospitals in the area. Um, we happen to be very close to a lot of hospitals in the area. Um, so we take them over to the hospital. We introduce them to the ED staff, allow them to um, have some time to talk to the, the ER doc head, um, find out how the program is going, ask some questions, and as you know, Sometimes that can be a really great experience, or sometimes it can be a really short experience, depending on how busy the ED is that day. Um, but they are allowed to, you know, um, see the Narcan video that that we prepared, um, and and they found the people that have experienced this one day have found that to be extremely beneficial. We come back, um, we have lunch, everybody takes a little bit of a break, and then we proceed to go through the. Uh, the manual, the operations manual that you get as part of your purchase, um, basically page by page. Um, and if there's something that doesn't um, need to be addressed as part of your model, then, you know, we kind of skip over that. Um, and then you're allowed a couple of, depending on the program again, um, follow-up telephone time. I believe it's two hours, um, which has been hugely beneficial to people Um because once you start this program and you talk to your own de- behavioral health unit or you talk to um, your your uh, Department of Health or whoever is going to back you in this process, there's millions of questions. And, 
and that's what we found. So our, our telephone conversations, our follow-up telephone conversations um, have been beneficial um, to the point where people have been able to, you know, implement the program, get it running, and then have another phone call to say these are the barriers that we're finding. Um, and, anchor, you know, as Anchor, we're willing to say, hey, we made mistakes, you know, and, and you're going to get the benefit of us telling you about the mistakes that we've made. Um, because nothing runs perfectly, as you know, you know. Sure. And, um, and, and, you know, because we were the first to do this type of, of model, um, we've certainly fallen and had to get up a couple of times. Wow, that's really impressive. Tell me a little bit about how many people usually come to these workshops. So it's a day-long workshop. and so how- Normally speaking, it's, it's a day-long workshop that is, is specific to one client. Mm-hmm. So let's say that um, let's say that, that some people from Ohio wanted to come. Yeah. All right. So maybe you know four people from Ohio come, which is we usually have four people come. It's, okay. I don't know why that is, but they do. Um, and um, each person representing a different you know aspect of whether hey we're going to start a community center and we may not do it right now, but. We want to get the information about it, and we're definitely going to do an Anchor ED, and, and we're thinking about doing an outreach program. So they bring all the people that may have some connection to a program that they may want to start. And so you've got four people um, that come to, to you, and you have a one-day program for them. What's the cost associated with that? Like I said, there's very differing costs mm-hmm. um, for that program. Um, I believe the cost is is $5,000 for the, you come to us, spend mm-hmm. the day with us, um, have the manuals, et cetera, et cetera. But again, that's, that's a most expensive product. Yeah. And that's, but that's covering all of your programs then. You got it. That would be Anchor ED. That would be the community, uh, community center, is it? Yes. Community center, Anchor More. And yep. then the outreach. Yes. Okay. So, um, that sounds great. Now let's talk just a little bit more about the community center, and then after that, the outreach, those programs, and what they're about. So the, so, um, the Anchor Recovery Community Centers is um, the only of its kind in Rhode Island. Um, and it, when it was first started back in 2010, it really was the brainchild of a gentleman by the name of Jim Gillen, who um, has since passed away um, in 2015 from... Uh, lymphoma. Um, We miss him terribly. Um, He was a great guy who thought that um, just going to a clinician for your substance use disorder was just not enough, and that people needed more than a slip that says, um, go to 90 meetings in 90 days and come back and see me when you're done doing that, and we'll see how you are. And generally speaking, most of the time, that didn't really happen, you know. Um, On top of that, um, not everybody is, is cut out for a 12-step program. Um, and so he thought, listen, there's got to be a, a commonality, you know, where these, these like-minded people can go hang out and be in a safe and supportive environment. And so he approached uh, the Providence Center, of which Anchor is under the umbrella of, and said, how do you feel about this? And thankfully, we had a very forward-thinking CEO who said, let's do it. And um, and through a grant, a block grant from SAMHSA, we were able to fund the um, the program 
um, initially. Uh, we are on the main street in a major city in Rhode Island, um, and we're open to anyone who needs recovery. And the way we look at it is everybody is recovering from something. So it's kind of a community center with a twist, right? So a lot of states have community centers where people can go and hang out, a senior center, a adult daycare center, um, a teen center, if you sure. have that. Yeah. Um, but this is different. This is for people that are recovering. And um, we offer 12-step meetings, uh, quite a few a day. We offer smart recovery meetings, women's meetings. We have a reentry from um, the Department of Corrections meeting twice a week. We have men's meetings, big book meetings, uh, all recovery meetings, um, grief groups, two different kinds of grief groups, um, as well as social activities that happen very frequently um, throughout the year. As a matter of fact, we have one this weekend for Earth Day where Everybody gets together. We get um, volunteers from our treatment programs as well as from our community. Um, we fire up some hot dogs on the grill with chips and drinks, and and we just make a fun day of it. Um, and we do that quite frequently. It's it's really about the community coming together, and this community is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And you know, um, and people are finding that it's okay to be in recovery. It's really good to be in recovery, and your life doesn't have to end. Your fun doesn't have to end because you're, you know, you're into recovery. And um, and we're still growing strong, you know, um, seven years later. Wow. So now let's talk about the outreach program. So our outreach program is called MORE, Mobile Outreach Recovery Efforts. It was founded last year um, kind of as a why can't we meet people where they're at kind of thing, um, it, which is what recovery coaching is all about, meeting people where they're at. And so we thought, instead of waiting to get them uh, at the emergency room, why don't we go out and kind of boots on the ground, try to find these people that may want recovery in these high-risk areas, soup kitchens, homeless shelters, in the woods, frankly, in tent cities. Um, and so that's what we've done. So we have two teams of two people, um, a female team and a male team, and, and that doesn't necessarily mean that two females go out. They um, interchange quite frequently, um, a lot depending on the um, the location that they're going to visit. Um, and, and they go out and they di- distribute and train on Narcan. Um, they give information to people. They um, give their, their cards out so that if people want to, you know, get back into recovery, or get to recovery at some point, maybe not that moment in time, but down the line, they have that information available to them. Um, we transport to detox um, and or treatment. Um, so there's a million resources that we can be able to connect those people to, and then they connect back to um, the in-house coaches at the at the recovery at the recovery community center. So we have a total wraparound of people, which is amazing. I think that's the most amazing part of having this community center is is a place where, you know, people can come instead of just like, you know, going out, meeting them, and then not being able to connect with them again except via telephone. Somebody can walk in here, have a cup of coffee, you know, grab something to eat on occasion. Um, We're lucky to get a lot of um, donations from various facilities, um, 
that dropped off food or or candy or you know water whatever what have you um and and it just gives them a place to to sit and stay we're not you know we're not a drop in center for the homeless community um although we do find that we have a lot of homeless community and we also find that we have a lot of duly diagnosed people so um it you know it really is a community center with a twist wow that's three powerful programs you've talked about today. Yeah. Really, yeah. really appreciate uh, and respect all the work that you've uh, you've done and the great programs that you've developed there, Michelle. Any 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 final comments for our listeners? This has been just so informative. Want to thank you. Um, any any final uh, thoughts that you'd like to leave our listeners with, and also any inspiration for those communities across America that maybe think about and, and would like to start something like you've started in your community? So I, I think, you know, the best thing to, to say is that, you know, no matter what, no matter how deep you've gone, recovery is always possible. Um, it's something that, you know, that's our mantra here. You know, what what can we do for your recovery today? As you know, a lot of people, you know, have that. We, we just, we want to help people. That's what we're in the business of helping people. And I think that, um, you know, we call it a business, but it really is a labor of love. And I think that everybody, every state that's involved in this horrendous opioid epidemic, um, I think that all the people that are involved in it are really, truly soldiers of recovery and, and are doing it as a labor of love and, and not for recognition and not for the money. Um, although, you know, it's great to have the money to drive the program, but it's really about saving that Mexican suffering person. And, and that's truly what Anchor Recovery is all about. Well, thank you again, Michelle. Not a problem, Greg. We've been visiting today with Michelle Harder, who is the Associate Director of Anchor Recovery Community Centers in Rhode Island. And Michelle and her team have put together uh, truly amazing programs through Anchor ED, Community Center, and their MORE program to make a difference in their community. I'm Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources. Thank you for listening to this Cover 2 PPT podcast. That's people, places, and things making a difference in the opioid epidemic. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. With your support, the Cover 2 team can continue to research and broadcast these resources to others in need. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time. <laughs>